At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. So this morning um, is a special fifth Sunday, um, and if you haven't, if you don't know, um, usually about a year and a half ago, two years ago, uh, as a campus, we decided to devote our fifth Sundays as family worship Sundays. Um, as there's only four of those throughout the year, it's just a special day, but the heart behind it is for families, for kids from kindergarten to fifth grade, just able to worship with their family. Worship with their parents or their aunt or their uncle or their grandma or grandpa or whoever they came with to be able to worship together. I think it's so important because not only do they get to experience what it means to be the body of Christ collectively coming and worshiping together and hearing God's word together, but also kids are an encouragement to us as well. You know, Jesus talks about the idea that he loves kids he uses an examples of kids uh, having a, a Christ-like faith, a kid-like faith about God. So it's so encouraging to see how our kids are in the service. And I know that during this time, we've kind of always had a family service during the pandemic, which I love being able to look out and seeing our kids with us on Sundays. But today's special as we, as we jump back in and as we, we begin and continue our, our series, The Forgotten Virtue. So kids, um, I've got some activities for you to do throughout the sermon, okay? So you have your little insert that you could have picked up at tables uh, as you were coming in, but I've got a little couple things throughout the message that I want you guys to help me with. Can you guys help me with that? Okay? Can those adults that maybe act like kids or, <laughs> or want to be big kids, you want to help me with that too? All right, all right. Well, the first thing is, um, I want you to help me to finish a lyric of a song. Okay, so I'm going to sing a song, or start to sing a song, um, and I want you to finish the lyric if you know it. So kids, you're going to shout it out, finish the lyric, and parents and, and adults, you can help me as well. All right, so here it goes. Jesus loves me, this I know. Awesome job, yes. How many of you have heard that ever since you were young? Okay, awesome, yes. This song that, that we learn or, or some of us have heard all growing up or, or maybe we've heard it recently, um, the opening lines share this incredible truth. This incredible truth to think that, that Jesus loves me, this I know. And how do we know that? It's because the Bible tells us so, that Jesus loves us, that we can know this because of what God's word says. But if we're honest, and if we really think about it, those, those, those great lines that we sing, the reality is sometimes we struggle with the concept of God's love. We struggle with the concept of what does it look like to know God's love, Maybe it's during a, a challenging uh, situation in your life. Maybe it's a challenging season. 
Maybe you can't experience God's love because you have this guilt of past mistakes or past sins. Or maybe you're experiencing that nagging voice of doubt. And we often are left wondering, well, what what about God's love? How can I know God's love? Yeah, we can affirm it in a song and we can sing it, but can we actually believe it and say, yes, Jesus loves me? Well, we can know God's love because of what Scripture says. And so today we're going to unpack a passage that talks exactly about how we can know God's love and experience the love of God. So if you have your Bibles or if you want to pull up your Bible app or whatever you use to to find God's word, go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 13 through 21. And so we've been in this series called The the Forgotten Virtue, and what I love about this is uh, we're also, with our students on Sunday night, we're also going through these same principles with them. We we created a, a series that goes along with that. It's not the exact same as what we're doing on Sunday mornings, but it's a little bit different. It talks about the same concept, and I just love that aspect of being able to hear it on Sunday morning, but then also hear it how we apply it for our students on Sunday night. But we looked at last week this idea in verses 7 through 12 that the reality is that since God is love, love is defined in who God is. Who God is and what he has done. And so as we continue, as John continues, he doesn't just want to end at, okay, well, here's the definition, now go out your way. He wants to continue to tell the believers, well, what does that look like? If God is love, how do we experience that? And so today, the big idea, the bottom line that we're going to come away with is to believe in Jesus is to know God's love. To believe in Jesus is to know God's love. And when we believe in Jesus, it now becomes our reality. When we experience who Jesus is and we experience God's love, that it changes our lives. It changes the very nature of our reality. So if if we are to believe in Jesus, to know God's love, how do we actually come to know it? What are the ways that we experience the love of God in our lives? Well, from these verses, we're going to see three ways that we experience God's love. The first one is we know God's love in us. We know God's love in us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, it says this, By this we know we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So the first thing we see that we experience God's love is the reality that when we trust in Christ, God comes to live in us. John uses this word abide, and and it's actually a word that he often uses in all of his writings. You can even find it in the Gospel of John. He uses this idea of abiding in God. And when I think of the word abide, I think of a place of living, 
Like we abide in our homes. We dwell in our homes. You know, I, I dwell in my house with my wife and my son. But over the years, I've, I've lived, I've dwelled in other places. I've dwelled in my parents' house. I've dwelled in dorms. I've dwelled in apartments. I eventually then dwell in houses. It's the place that we spend our time. It's the place that we go to at the end of the day. And to be honest, over this last year, we've probably spent more time than we wanted to in our houses. But we live there. We dwell there. And so what he's saying, the idea of dwelling for John is this transition from understanding, having a head knowledge of God's love and that God is love, to now experiencing that love. How do we go from just knowing the facts of singing that song that Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, to then how do we experience that within our lives? Well, that comes when we dwell, when God comes to dwell in us by the Holy Spirit. Theologians call this this amazing thing the a mutual indwelling. It's this, uh, this fact that God comes to dwell inside us, to abide in us through the Holy Spirit, and that we are now abiding in God. And he actually teaches about this. Jesus actually teaches this in John chapter 14. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then verse 20, in that day you will know that I am, the, I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. This is such a crazy, mind-blowing truth that we can experience at the fact that God, the creator of the universe, the creator of us as humans, is coming into us, is dwelling within us through the Holy Spirit. But how do we know that? How do we know that we have the Holy Spirit? Because there's times in our lives where we're like, I don't feel God's presence. I don't feel like God is with me. How do we know? Well, he answers it in verse 14. He says, when we confess that Jesus is the Son of God and is the Savior of, and he is the Savior of the world, John is, is reminding us of the gospel. He's reminding us when we, when we have our faith in the gospel, when we have our faith in Jesus, when we trust in the gospel, that is when we can know that we have the Holy Spirit. One of the, the joys of working with our kids on every Sunday is being able to teach them what the gospel is. And we have, we have these things called the gospel icons. They're, they're little symbols that, that help them to walk through what the gospel is. And so, kids, I need your help, okay? So I'm gonna, we're going to show you each of these gospel icons on the screen. And I want you to do is I want you to yell out what they are, okay? All right? Can you do that? And we're going to walk through the gospel, we're going to walk through what is it that we, how we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay? All right. So first one up. What is this? Good job. Yes. God rules. 
God rules. Yes, and the fact that God in the beginning, God was. He always existed. He was always there, but he created everything that we see. He created trees and plants and hippopotamuses and, and uh, snow and all of these things. But he also created us. And because he created us, he now can make everything and he made everything perfect. He made everything as it should be. And because of that, we can have, we, he created us with this deep relationship with himself. He had this deep relationship with the first human beings, with Adam and Eve. He walked with them in the garden. He had this deep relationship with the creator. But, next one. We sinned, yes. We sinned. The first humans, Adam and Eve, chose to follow their own desires and plans and disobeyed God. This broke the relationship with God because he is perfect and he can't be around sin. He can't be around evil. So sin separated us from God. But before we just blame Adam and Eve for this, we also have to think of we do the same thing, right? We choose to disobey God every day. And when we choose to disobey God and how he has commanded us to live, that relationship with God is still broken. And we're separated from our creator. And just like when you break your parents' rules or you break a law, there's a punishment and that punishment for our sin is death, eternal separation from God. But, next one. God provided. Yes, I love the adults getting involved. Getting involved. Yes, God provided. God wanted to continue to have a relationship with us. He didn't want to leave it as a separated relationship. He didn't want to to be eternally separated from his creation. So God provided, and to continue to have this relationship with us, he needed to repair that relationship with us. So he provided a way to restore that relationship. Kids, who did God provide? Jesus, right? He provided Jesus. Jesus came to earth as a baby and lived a perfect life. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't live a perfect life. Can you? No. Jesus was the only one that could live a perfect life. But then he took our sin and paid that punishment of our sin by dying on the cross for us. And our payment for our disobedience was paid by Jesus. But then Jesus does something great. He, what does he do? Jesus gives. Jesus gives. He didn't stay dead, but he rose again. He conquered death so that we could conquer death as well. And because of what Jesus did, he gives us forgiveness. He gives us forgiveness of our sin, and we get to spend eternity with God. And just like you get a, when you get a gift, you have to receive it, we need to then, next one, we respond. 
we respond to this amazing gift that God has given us by confessing our sin before God. By telling him we realize that, that we have broken that relationship with him and that Jesus is the only way that we can be forgiven. Then when we seek to live our lives, when we seek to live our life as God desires, not to, not to earn our salvation, not to earn the brownie points in heaven, but as a, as, a rep, as a representative of our love for God, we seek to follow him, to show our love for God. And then when we respond, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when we, when we trust in Jesus, God comes to abide in us in the Holy Spirit. Because God is love, then we have God's love in us through the Holy Spirit. All right, so imagine that I have this jar right here, and this jar is your heart, okay? And inside your heart, at the very beginning, you have sin. Well, I think I did break it at the first service. Okay, so. There we go. All right, so sin. We have sin in our hearts, and as we continue to sin, we give in to our sin, that, heart, that sin in our hearts continues to grow. But what happens in when Christ comes, when we confess our sin to God, when we come into a relationship with him, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And it fills our hearts. And the Holy Spirit is in us, but it doesn't mean that our sin is gone, Right? How many of you became perfect once you accepted Jesus as your Savior? None of us, right? But our sin is still there. But what happens is the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. And as we continue to live for Christ, as we continue to feed the gift of the Holy Spirit within our lives, less and less room is available for our sin. This is the amazing thing that God does is that he dwells within us so that we can experience God's love. And the Holy Spirit is how we know the love of God. It speaks into our soul. So if you're here and you're like, I don't know if I know the love of God, let me ask you to start with Jesus. Have you placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you died to your sin and asked him to come and live inside of you? Have you asked for forgiveness and have repaired that relationship with you? That's the first step. That's how we get to know God's love in us is by accepting him as our Lord and Savior. But for many of you, you've done this already. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. But the opposite thing can happen. It's just like I said, sin continues to live in our hearts. But when we continue... When we continue to feed our sin, our sin becomes to have a bigger and bigger place in our heart. And, our Holy, and the Holy Spirit in our lives has less and less room to change us. It doesn't mean that God's Spirit has left us, but it's no more room for him. 
So maybe you don't feel the love of Christ in your life, the love of God in your life, because you've kept feeding your sin nature. You kept giving in to the temptation. You kept filling your minds with things that are not of God. And you've let sin rule in your hearts so that God's voice, God the Holy Spirit, has less and less room in your heart. The Holy Spirit's influence becomes less and less and we feel, start to feel far from God's love because we're not filling our lives with the things of God. And maybe you're at that place. Maybe you're at that place where you find yourself continue to fill yourself with the things not of God and you start to struggle with that idea of well, why do I not feel God's love? I encourage you to stop fueling the sin nature. But start filling yourselves with God's love by reading his word, by praying, by seeking counsel from friends, by pouring in and putting things in that are, that are godly instead of ungodly. Because we know that love of God and we experience the God of love in us. But we also come to experience God's love in a second way. We know God's love is for us. We know God's love is for us. In John chapter four, verse 16, he continues and he says, so we have come to know and to believe that love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this love perfected within us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. And there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So as we come to know God's love in us, we all, it also begins to change us. It also begins to work its way out that we now experience the love of God. We can know God's love in us and believe God's love is for us. And in order for us to ultimately know God's love being for us is coming through the, that work of the Holy Spirit, the work of Jesus. We experience this love that God has for us in Jesus. How do we experience that? It's through this idea of the perfected love. He says that the love is perfected within us, means it's completed in us. It means that when God is, what it means is that God's love has been transforming its effect on our lives. He changes us. He makes us more like Christ every single day. And he makes us more like Jesus and we get to know his love for us. And what John here then says is how do you know that is because of this idea of not only a perfected love, but now confidence. He says you gives you confidence regarding the future day of judgment. So when you place your faith in Jesus and the spirit comes and, gives, and is in you, you begin to have confidence in where you stand before God. Because there's a day coming when God is going to judge the world. He is going to come and he's going to judge the world. And he's going to begin his kingdom on this world. 
He's going to judge the unrighteousness. He's going to judge, uh, he's going to judge the sinful humanity and, and, the, and the injustice in the world. And while we're like, yes, let's, let's, let's wait for God to come. God, come and, and take over and uh, judge the injustice. But here's the thing. He's also going to judge the injustice within us as people. He's going to judge our sinfulness. Our sin is going to be exposed by God. But this is what John says. He says that there is confidence in those that have believed in Jesus. That we can have confidence in that day that we are going to be with him in paradise because of what Jesus has done. Because when God will not ultimately reject us because of our sin, but instead he will welcome us into eternity because of the work of his son. I've seen it done like this. So, so God, uh, so when you become a follower of Christ, when you confess your sin, um, you're still sinful. We've said that, right? You're still sinful. But what happens is you receive this, this coat or a cloak or something, whatever, something to cover up. So, he, so when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin, but he sees Jesus' blood covering you. He sees what Jesus did on the cross. And that your punishment has been paid. And that should give us confidence. He doesn't see our, he doesn't see us in our sin, but he sees us in his son. And because God is for Jesus, that means he is for us. And that reality should remove the fear in our lives. One of my favorite things when I was growing up is, is getting the paper and reading the comics. Anybody like comics? Sunday comics? Sunday or Saturday comics? Anyone? No? Okay. <laughs> the Saturday Sunday comics would come out, and one of the comics that I really enjoyed reading was Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin and Hobbes was a comic strip that was about a young boy and his toy tiger, but the, the funny thing was is that toy tiger would come to life when adults were not around. And this whole comic was their, like, crazy experiences, their uh, mischievous endeavors, and they would explore it in this. And there was one that I remember is that uh, Calvin and Hobbes went to hide, uh, hide from their mom because they accidentally wrecked their family car. They wrecked their family car by trying to move it from the garage. And so you see this play out of Calvin's mom then spots Calvin up in the tree, and she's like, there you are, come down so I can talk to you. And he says, no, you'll kill us, we're running away. And then mom says, I'm not going to kill you, I just want to find out what happened. Are you okay? Was anyone hurt? And Calvin replied, no, no one was hurt, we were just pushing the car into the drive, and it just kept rolling. And then mom was like, well, did the car hit anything? Mother, and then she asked, and then Calvin's like, it just went, uh, it went, just went down the road, across the road, and into the ditch. And that's when we, we took off. And mom's like, well, the tow truck came and pulled it, out of the, pulled it out of the ditch, and there's no damage. 
And so mom then holds out her arms and she's like, so you can come home now. Calvin, kind of peeking his head around the tree trunk in their tree house, he says this, first, let us, let's hear you say you love me. Let's hear you say you love me. I think we're a lot like Calvin, where all of us have, have made mistakes in our lives. And often those mistakes can lead us to a place of fear, right? We're afraid of, of what our parents will say. We're afraid of what other people will say. We're afraid of what God's going to think. And while we might not be hiding in a tree, we often cover that up and hide in all these different things. We hide behind our work. We hide behind our stuff. We hide behind substances, or we hide behind all of these things to try to cover up the fear and that shame that we have of our sin. Just like Adam and Eve did in the garden, they hid from God. They feared his punishment and recognizing their sinfulness. You know, it's, it's when you sin, it's, it naturally causes us to feel shame. It naturally causes us to feel afraid that's why sin often lies in, in the darkness. Yet I think also something happens as well. It's why we try to hide our sin and hide our shame and hide our fear. I think in our hearts, we also are looking for that reassuring word of, I love you. The assurance that things will be okay despite our sin and despite our mistakes. And we don't really come out until we, we hear that idea of God's love for us. But this is what the, the gospel does. It gives us confidence that the love of God is over all. That because of what Jesus has done, God's love for us and God's love in us, is that, he, is that we don't have to fear because our sin has been atoned for in the work of Christ. Our sin has been paid for. And that should give us confidence. Because all the time we can be in our shame and our fear, but when we realize God's love is for us, it gives us that confidence to know that no matter what, as we come to know him, as we come to seek forgiveness, that there is no condemnation in him, but there is his overwhelming love for us. Doesn't mean that he accepts our sin, but that he loves and cares for us, and there's forgiveness in our sin. So as we come to know this love that is both in us and for us, it begins to change the way we live. It should begin to change the way we live and change the way around us. Because in order to know God's love, we also need to know God's love between us. And so John finishes out this section by saying this, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God with whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have for him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. 
So John here comes to this aspect of God's love in us and for us is the foundation for what we are called to do and that is to have love for one another. We have the foundation of understanding God's love in us and God's love for us then should change the way that we interact with others. It's not something that is separate from his love, but it's a a manifestation. It's an outward expression of his love for us. So we're to love one another. And I love he kind of he kind of hits right in the in the stomach with this. He says this if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. I don't know about you, but I don't like being called a liar, especially if I know I maybe didn't lie at that point. But he says this, is like this aspect of, if you say you love God, yet you live in a way that you hate other people, you don't share the love of God with others, then you can't love God. How can you love something like a person who's right there in front of you, who, who's a tangible, physical person? How can you hate them yet claim that you love this, this God who is, is spiritual, who is invisible to us at this point? Like how it seems a lot easier for us to love something that, that's right there in our face. If we can't love the easier of these two, how can we love the greater So as we continue to abide in God and he through us, his spirit, our hearts begin to change and the things that God loves becomes the things that we love. And the things that God hates is the things that God hates. Therefore, if we've truly experienced God's love in our lives, then that love begins to define the relationships with one another. This idea to love one another is not a suggestion for us, for those of us who are in Christ. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Jesus even says in John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give you that you to love one another just as I have loved you and also are to love one another. But then in Matthew, he, he's, uh, the Pharisees are asking him, what's the greatest commandment? And he quotes Deuteronomy and says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. But then he says in verse 39, he says, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's not a suggestion to love others. It's commanded. For to experience the love of God in us and for us results in us sharing the love between us. I was, I was raised in church. I remember going to church every single Sunday, Wednesday, whenever it was open. But I also was uh, born in the 90s, which I love being born in the 90s. It's a lot of cool things, and a lot of cool things are coming back, I guess. So (laughs) all this stuff that I liked is now coming back, which is super weird. But one of the things that I remember was um, these cool little wristbands that kind of started within the church, uh, within Christians, um, and they were these little uh, WWJD bracelets. 
Anybody remember these? Yeah, so you could get them in multiple colors. You can get them in rainbow. I know I had a lot of friends that like prided themselves on filling their whole arm with them. It was really weird. I'm like, you obviously need to know what Jesus needs to do in this situation. <laughs> but these things, these, these bracelets were really the intent was for the people who are wearing them to be able to look and say, okay, what would Jesus do in this situation? Right? I'm, I'm in a test. I didn't study for it. And I have that urge to cheat. Well, look at my wrist. What would Jesus do? <laughs> or that person was mean to me. What would Jesus do? And this was the thing. It would, everyone would wear these things. But the thing is, is it kind of got uh, not just within the Christian life, but then it started to become a thing across the world that you would see on screen. You would see celebrities wearing them. And obviously, if a celebrity wears a WWJD bracelet, then obviously they're, the Christ, they're a Christian, right? But that would they think. They would think, oh, they're, they're wearing this band to represent their faith in Jesus. But even when they wore the bracelet, their lives, and even those that wore the bracelet, maybe their lives didn't line up with that. They didn't live a life. Then obviously, WWJD bracelets went away, and then it was a cross necklaces. And then it was cheesy Christian t-shirts with, with popular logos and, brand, uh, and brands with like things changed on them. Like these were things that people would use to signify their belief in Jesus and show others. But I think one of the greatest things one of the greatest things that can be a representation of our faith in Jesus is not a wristband. It's not a t-shirt. It's not a bumper sticker. It's our ability to love others the way that God loves us. It's our ability to love self-sacrificially, to love those that even is not easy to love. Love those that are hard to love. Love those that, are, that don't agree with us. So let me ask you these questions. And they're a little tough to, to think about. And I'll admit, I, was, I have been convicted even as, as I was reading through these to prepare. But think about these questions. I want you to really think about them. If you're a follower of Jesus... How would others know that you are his disciple? Is it by the clothes you wear? Is it about the words that you use or don't use? Is it by the chain around your neck? Is it because you come to church? Or is it because you pursue living a life of radical, sacrificial love. Let me take it one step further. If people only saw what you posted on your social media, or even the comments you make on other posts that, that even those that you disagree with would they experience the love of God? 
That's crazy to think about. That what we say, how we respond, are people experiencing the love of God. Because the world is watching us. And the world can the world can take one thing and we can be labeled as the most hateful people there out there. How sad is that? That if we've experienced God's love in us, we've experienced this transforming power of God's love in us and for us, that he would send his son to die for us. Not because we are good, not because we deserve it, only because he loves us and he created us and he wants to be in a relationship with us. So we should be the ones that are, that are loving people as Christ loves us. That is what John is telling us in this, is when we have experienced the incredible love of God, it alters everything that we know. It changes our very reality. In Christ, God's love in us transforms us from the inside out. It's for us by removing the fear and growing us in confidence before the Lord. It's between us, defining and impacting our relationships with one another. God's love is truly amazing. But the most incredible thing of all of that is that we can know his love. We can know his love by simply believing in Jesus. Because to believe in Jesus is to know God's love. And this work that Jesus does, that Jesus did on the cross, has made his love available to each one of us, to each neighbor, to each person you work with, that that is available, that God's love is available to all people. And to receive and know his love is nothing else that we can do, but it's only through Jesus is that possible. Only in simply believing that he is the son of God who died for our sins, that we can know the love of God today and it completely change our entire life. And so when we experience God's love in us and for us and between us, we can then confidently sing the simple song of Jesus loves me, this I know. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word, God. I'm so incredibly thankful that you love a sinner like me. You love somebody who constantly disobeys you, who thinks that they know what's best for them, one that's so easy to hate my neighbor. God, I pray and I thank you for the incredible love that you have given, the incredible sacrifice that you have given in your son. And God, I pray that we are able to experience your love in us and for us and between us. 
so that the world, so that the world can experience the same love. That when they look at us, they don't see our hate. They don't see our anger. They don't see our sin, but they see your amazing love working in us. God, help us to be a church who loves others because of your love for us. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.